0: Welcome to the old-school meeting of Overeaters Anonymous, which features speakers with long-term abstinence. This meeting was born online, and it's going to stay that way. That means you can attend live on Tuesday evenings at 630 Pacific if you'd like to. Go to the Los Angeles Intergroup's webpage at oalaig.org for login information. And now, our speaker. Thank you. Now it's time for me to tell you what I was like, what happened, and what I'm like now, including how and why I stay abstinent today. Uh, My name is Kim Kay, and I am a grateful uh, member of this fellowship and a compulsive overeater. And I'm thank you, Deborah, for asking me to lead. When I got the um, email from Deborah with the format, I printed it out, and I saw that there was a URL that I needed to go on to agree to being. to being recorded and one of the questions in there was what year did you or what I forget something about what year did you come to program and it felt like a trick question to me because I have a lot of years that I've come to program I first came in 1980 at the ripe old age of 24 uh I came and went and came and went and left and came back and tried different so and then I, my current abstinence is um, just celebrated 13 years. So I guess what the date that I used for the form was 2009. But I really go back in some ways until 1980. I just did not really get programmed the way I'm starting to get it today. So um, what I was like was like probably everybody in these rooms and everybody who's hearing this recording. I didn't come here on a whim. I didn't come here because it seemed like fun. I came in here on my knees, depleted, demoralized, and sick and tired of myself. My early, early memories were of eating, four years old, you know, eating, because the big kids were outside. They went to kindergarten. They were playing, and I was in the house eating, and my parents got divorced when I was six, and I used to go to my father's the every other weekend and, you know, the custody of the uh, 1960s, and when I would come home from this horror that was my father's house, my mother and I would sit at the kitchen table. I remember eating. I don't know if she was eating or not, but she provided my favorite binge foods because she wanted to hear just how dreadful it was at their house. And she wanted to pepper me with all these questions. But what I got was her attention, which I didn't get a lot of. And it set up this kind of eating and this kind of, this kind of thing that worked, this kind of comfort that I went to food because my, my household was very unstable and food was stable. It always made me feel better until it didn't make me feel better anymore. And so I ate a lot as a kid. I had two food groups, sugar and starch. I did not understand for the life of me why somebody would eat protein when there was sugar and starch in the world, like it just made no sense. And it took a long time for, it, not a long time, but relatively, I was in about ninth grade Before it really caught up with me, it really caught up with my body. And we moved a lot when I was growing up. So I got very used to being the new girl and school and the sort of chameleon. Like if somebody was nice to me, I would make myself be like them. And then their friends would like me. And then I would have friends because I A, didn't know who I was. And B, this just seemed like the very easy route. And so in ninth grade, I became friendly with these girls who were very into dieting and exercising. I remember the dieting more than the exercise, talking about exercising and um, and hair and makeup and things that I'm just not really wired to be about. But we started to go on these diets, these juice fasts and these weekend diets and these, these like real deprivations. And I really think diets were the death of me. And so I could talk about what it was like and I can name you all the hundreds of diets I went on and the doctors and the shots and the hypnosis and the pills, and, but it does not really get to the point where food took over my life. And I didn't eat because until I was full, I eat it to the point where I just hated myself. I just had such a low self-esteem and I was so demoralized and I would gain weight and lose weight. like There was no stability. I had um, somebody got me once as a gag gift, but it really wasn't funny. Those little rounds things that they have in the clothing stores with all the different sizes. That's for because pounds. I thank you. I was all different sizes, and I was, and I I couldn't buy something today that I was going to wear in two months because Lord knew what it was going to be like. And so, in 1980, I was living in New York. You know, I had just come off of a fruit fast, and you know where I practically fainted from not eating properly. And my neighbor said to me, oh, you know, there's this thing called OA, and it's they give you a diet, and they don't weigh you, and it's free. And I had no idea what the name OA stood for, but I was like, I like those things. So she and I went to OA. First, we had to have a gigantic Italian meal because, I don't know, somehow I was sure they were going to take away all my fun. And I came to the meeting and I was struck by a number of things. One is that people were laughing and people looked happy and people were extraordinarily friendly. And I really liked that. And I listened to the shares and I really liked the stories and I really liked all, there were just two things about this meeting I did not like. One was the steps and one was God. But other than that, I thought it was fantastic. I really could relate to, I heard a lot of my story in there, but I didn't like those things. And I said to my neighbor, I'm not going back. I don't believe in God. And like, I could do step one. Like I picked out the steps that seemed appropriate to me. Like I could, do, I never would do step nine. I would die first. And I would never do step five. I would die first. And she said, well, I, I'm going to go. I, I sounds good to me. So she started to go. And I started to watch her lose weight and like look happier. And I thought, well, I got to go back. This, I got to figure this out. And so I went back and I started to make deals with myself. You know, okay, I don't believe in God, but I'll make the group my higher power. And I, well, I don't need a sponsor. I'll just sit here and kind of soak up the parts that I like. And somehow like little bits infiltrated. And I started on a journey in OA that lasted from 1980 until 2009, where I just did it my way. I came and I went and I changed sponsors and I changed intergroups and I changed food plans and then I'd disappear and then I'd come back. And here's what I learned. One is I never came back thinner or happier than when I had left. Much to my plans of how I was going to manage and that I didn't have time for OA and I wasn't gonna tell my sponsor all my deep dark secrets. And that doing it my way just did not work. I just, even in program, even though, and I would have some periods of abstinence, but I didn't really have periods of really working the program. I didn't really get program in its full complement of what it truly is. I just used it essentially as kind of a diet club with support and some really nice slogans and some really friendly people that I could call. And, and I just was still completely full of myself, my will, and my way of doing things. And so in 2008, starting before Halloween, I had what I would call my bottomest bottom of all time where I could not put together one day of abstinence, I could not stop eating. And I remember it so vividly before Halloween, you know, buying candy that I didn't like, because I wasn't going to eat it. And then I ate the candy I didn't like. And I replaced it with candy. Well, if I'm going to eat it, I might as well buy candy that I do like. And I ate that too. And it went through through Thanksgiving and Hanukkah and Christmas. And it was the same pattern of I'll start tomorrow. I'll start Monday. Um, I'll be good. And by Thursday, it's like, well, I'll just wait and I'll have the weekend and then Monday. And a friend of mine who I had been in program with in the 90s said to me, you look horrible and you seem miserable and you have to go back to OA." And I was like, ugh, oh, I don't have time. And I, and I sponsor in those meetings and I got to schlep and I got to drive and I got to make phone calls. And I just really don't have time. She's like, you have to go back to ProM. She was really, I don't know. She was, you know, very tough. And I said, okay, here's the deal. I will try my latest last hurrah. And, um, if I don't make it the next day, I promise you on our friendship, I will go, I will go back. And so I, you can't, I couldn't start a diet ever on January 1st because in my crazy warped head, if you eat one minute past midnight on December 31st, you've already ruined January 1st because the day already started. So I had to have that as an eating day, my last hurrah, which I had lot, many last hurrahs. And January 2nd, I was going to start. I got my planner out. I had this whole blank thing. I had a plan written down of how many waters and how many proteins, and I was going to walk. And I got a, all happening. And I calculated if I lost two pounds a week, I circled the date January, I'm sorry, September 23rd. I don't know why that, that date sticks in my mind, but it was September 23rd. I will have arrived. Now, this is a person who'd been in program many decades on and off. And somehow, as soon as I would leave, I would get amnesia, maybe not the first day or the first week but certainly there and after. And I still tried all the things that I knew didn't work and I had to do what I had to do. And so that day, January 2nd, I started my day. I walked around, I lived in San Fernando Valley at the time. I walked around Lake Balboa with a friend and I was all raring to go. And by four o'clock I was in the food. And on January 3rd, 2009, which is my abstinent date, I walked into a an OA meeting called Spiritual Maintainers. And they had a lot of long timers and they had a direction which was probably saved my life, which was that you could not speak unless you had 21 days of abstinence. And I was forced to sit in that room and listen to people who had been there many times that I had been there previously. And lo and behold, they were still there and they were thin and they were happy, joyous, and free. And I was fat and miserable. And I got to listen to them share. And I went up to a woman after the meeting who had taken a candle for one year and she was overweight. And I asked her to be my sponsor. Now, this may seem like not a big deal to you, but I picked sponsors like we were going into the afterlife together. They had to tick off all the boxes. They had to look a certain way. They had to drive a certain thing. They had to be like my soulmate and here I picked this woman who seemed really lovely and she was overweight. And I think that meeting on that day, I really was struck willing. I had never done that before. She also said to me, I will take you through the steps, but you need to get a food sponsor. And I heard myself saying, okay. I never, I, I always kicked and screamed with whatever somebody suggested. And if their suggestion was particularly egregious, I would just break up with them and find another sponsor at some point. Like, you know, doesn't go my way, gotta go and see you later. So I started working with this lovely woman who was not gonna co sign on my bullshit. And I, would get to step two and I'd go, well, you know, I don't really believe in anything and I don't really, I don't want to fundamentally change who I am or I'm going to make the group my higher power. She listened to me carry on for a little bit. And then she said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start to make a list. She said, is there anything about people who have spirituality or faith that you admire So I said, well, there actually is, you know, and I gave some examples, Rose Kennedy. I remember, you know, this woman who really had such a strong faith that she could live through these horrendous experiences in her life and with her children. And I said, but I see people in the rooms and they, they're, I know that they're spiritual and they look really happy, like sort of lit up from the inside. I just know that's not me. And she's like, well, let's not decide that yet. Let's start to do an exercise exercise. I want you to do something. You're going to make a list and we're going to call it, is it odd or is it God? And when anything happens that just seems a little bit out of the ordinary, like you're thinking of somebody and they call you, or I just want you to write it on the list. And I thought, well, this seems pleasant enough. Like I'll just placate her and, and then I, she won't be mad at me and I'll go, okay. And then things started to happen. It just blew my mind. Like, I remember thinking, you know, those were in the days where we had to go to like the bank actually to get cash and um, thinking, oh, I really need to get cash and getting an envelope with the card in the mail of somebody sending me cash saying, hey, you know, I never paid you for those flowers that we all chipped in on. And I was like, well, that's interesting. And things started to open up. And then I became friendly with a woman who was actually a friend of a friend, and I knew her through this friend, but she and I didn't have our own separate relationship. But she was very spiritual. She still is, and she's in this program now. And she started to send me little quotes, and she gave me a book to read, and she gave me a CD to, read, to listen to. And I started to get very interested in this. I started to think, you know, there's a whole in the world... Here. Oh, my goodness. I got so busy with what it was happening. Um, anyway, I think for me, the spiritual part of this program, which I ignored for decades and decades, which I think was the root of why I found it so hard, because I was in so much will, even though I tried to do everything on the checklist, I think that has been the missing piece for me that has really opened things up. And so today, I work a really good program. And I have what they talk about in the big book, which is the priceless gift of serenity. Am I serene every second of every minute of every day? I am not, but I do no longer need to, to hide in food. I used to think that uh, like food was my problem. And what I learned here is that food was not my problem. Food was the solution. Food is what I used to not deal with my problem. But it didn't deal with my problem. It just delayed my problem and made my life even more unmanageable. And so today I really do have a spiritual life. I'm on the spiritual path. I have a very clean abstinence for me that works for me. And it's sort of like I know that there's an allergy of the body. And so if I were, for example, allergic to peanuts, I would not eat peanuts and I would attend to. The fact that I would check and make sure that the things that I were eating didn't have peanuts because peanuts would trigger that allergy. Well, if I don't eat my alcoholic foods, my allergy is not triggered. How do I not eat my alcoholic foods? I attend to what is going on in my life. I pay attention. I I share more honestly with my sponsor, with my fellows. I go to meetings. I have sponsees. I, I do the work. I'm a big believer for me in a small amount consistently. I was always a big all or nothing person, you know, every day in the gym and then not in the gym for six months. Today I do a little bit. I read a paragraph at a time. I write for 10 minutes. I meditate. If it's, a, if it's only five minutes, it's only five minutes, but it's, it's, every, it's consistency, which I never had in my life. I'm starting to see how program works where the things I didn't understand and I thought somebody's telling me I have to meditate. Why do I have to meditate? Do I have to be holy and not eat and oh my goodness. And I, today I see that the long, When I med- the more I meditate, the more I am now a meditator who does this every day, the more I can sit. You know, when chips are in front of me, I can sit. When the bread basket gets delivered to the table, I can sit. When somebody pisses me off, I can sit. I learned how to sit. I never put two and two together because I never paused long enough to see clearly what program was really about. And so I feel like I'm on a completely different path than I have been. I think I'm starting to understand what program is trying to teach me. And I am so grateful to have a place where I can talk about my fears. You know, it's so interesting. I moved to San Diego Um, at the beginning of COVID and I have had to meet my friends are in LA where I lived most of my life and I love that I my friends from program we start with our feelings and our fears and our ideas and our thoughts we may get around to knowing each other's last names if we have kids and what kind of car we drive or we may never get there and it's so beautiful to really talk about things that matter and are real and I don't have to worry about you know how I appear or somebody judging me because we're all in this together. We really are. And so today I'm leading tomorrow. Somebody else will be leading. It doesn't matter. Nobody's higher or lower. It just feels like so egalitarian and, and, and so equal. Like we are all equal in the fellowship. And I think that about life, like we're all equal in life. I may know how to do something somebody else doesn't have, but everybody in this zoom room and who's listening knows how to do something I don't know how to do, and we all help each other. So I am very grateful for being here tonight, and I thank you for letting me share.